you so much, team. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks, Bobby, Josh, Sean, Brandon, Clay, Jacqueline, and uh, Drannon back there on the board, and Darren on the wheels of steel, and everyone who makes this possible. So while we're talking about grace today, um, who remembers the first conscious lie you ever told? Anybody remember that? All right, let's just go around the room and just uh, (laughs) shout it out here. Um, so I remember mine. I was six years old. I got started on the path of indiscretion pretty early on. But uh, I was out in the yard, and I found this muddy dirt clod that was perfectly round and dense, and, like, it was born to be chunked. And so I, you know, I did what any kid would do. I picked up this dirt clod, and I threw it as high and as hard as I could, and it was this beautiful arc through the air in slow motion. It was like a Wonder Woman scene, pretty much. And then... <laughs> splat on the side, the front of our house, above the garage, right in the middle, just this beautiful splatter painting, and I was so satisfied in that moment. It was like I was the Jackson Pollock of the cul-de-sac in that moment, until later that day, my parents came in and asked, Jonathan, do you know who threw dirt on our house? And I gulped and got really, like, shaky, and said, no, I don't have any idea. I'm shocked that someone would have done that. I'm shocked. And innocence was lost, just like that. And um, the Care Bears were really disappointed in me, and Luke Skywalker turned his back on me. And in that moment, I chose this path of indiscretion that the rest of my life would follow down. But I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid of what they'd say. I was afraid of how they'd react. I was afraid of being judged, of being known as the mudslinger for the rest of my life. Um, Little did I know that would have been an awesome thing to be known as. But I carried the guilt with me of that the whole day. And it didn't make it any better that my parents were like super nice to me that day. (laughs) And so I was just, it was killing me. And so that night they come to tuck me in in bed and I just explode in tears and in confession. It was me. I threw the dirt. I'm so sorry. You know, just this moment there in my bed surrounded by my teddy bears. I'm so sorry. And my mom said, we know. We know. We know you're sorry, and we knew that you did it. And I was like, how did you know? What kind of CSI magic is this? It could have been any six-year-old kid out in the front yard throwing dirt that did it. How did you know it was me? But I said, I said, but you were so nice to me today. And they said, yes, because we love you. And that doesn't change because you make a mistake or because you do something wrong. We love you no matter what. But it does make us a little sad when you don't trust that, when you don't feel like you can be true to us. They said, we love you, and that is never in question. Now, I had some questions about how they knew it was me, (laughs) but I never questioned their love, despite what I said to them when I was a teenager. (laughs) There were consequences, of course, but my parents always put relationship first. Uh, They tried to make their priority not a kid who behaved always, but a kid who was always becoming who he was built to be. And the path leading there wasn't perfect behavior, but it was always being in process, being perfected, growing. And the fertile ground of relationship was the best environment for that to happen in. 
And I tell you that because I was, I was thinking about on that memory this week, and it's beautiful. But I also tell you that because eventually my kids will be six years old, and I will need you to remind me of what that looks like. My parents weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but in moments like that, they reflected something beautiful. Uh, moments like that do. And it's something so incredibly counterintuitive, um, something une- so unexpected. This offering of mercy in place of judgment. The reason our soul responds to that, that we find those moments beautiful, is because it reflects the heart of God. A God who chose steadfast love with humanity. Covenant love beyond our deserving of anything. Who by grace values relationship above rules, belonging over behaving and love above all else. Who throughout our story says these amazing things about love, and who James, whose story we're reading through this summer, encapsulates in this incredibly powerful statement about who God is. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James says. And once again, James just drops the mic with this beautiful, concise, powerful picture of God's heart and God's posture towards you and towards me and toward our world of who our God is. So James says this, mercy triumphs over judgment, but he doesn't invent this on his own. God presents God's self to us over and over and over again in this way. There's this refrain in the Hebrew scriptures of that 12 times God introduces God's self in the very same way. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You find that in Psalm 103.8, but you find it throughout the scripture. Also, Exodus 34.6, 2 Chronicles 39, Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah 9.13, Psalm 86.15, Psalm 111.4, Psalm 112.4, Psalm 116.5, Psalm 145.8, Joel 2.13, and Jonah 4.2. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God says this over and over and over again so much. It's almost like this is God's full identity, last name, and mission statement. Like God's some Inigo Montoya who shows up and says, My name is Inigo Montoya. I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Prepare to die to yourself and find life. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Go in peace. No. Because that's who God is. That's who God is, and that's what God is about in our world. Merciful and gracious. Mercy is how God sees us, how God loves us, how God treats us, and how God reaches out for us. Mercy, not judgment. Mercy even more than triumphs over judgment. And this is amazing. Because you think about the judgment that we experience in the world from ourselves and from others around us, from the moment that we wake up and we judge just how bad of a hair day this is going to be, we feel like the world is assessing us, ranking us, critiquing us, judging who we are, who we love, what we drive, what we've accomplished, whether life and kids are perfect, whether our inspection sticker is up to date, I'll put that one in there so I can remember that too this next week. We feel it as we scroll through Snapchat and the endorphins of likes. 
the anger and agony of evaluation. We feel it when we head out with our kids in public and we have to end up pretending like we have no idea whose kids these are. We feel it in body image and identity, those comparisons of success or accomplishment. Judgment is everywhere. And truthfully, when religion gets mixed up in the judgment game, it gets messy and it gets deep. And if you've felt that, if you've felt not mercy but judgment expressed from religion, I just want to say I'm sorry for that. Because God, over and over, says clearly, I am merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, and my mercy triumphs over judgment. And I promise, if you'll stick with it, if you can break through the false messages and the human messages and step through all of that to seek out the heart of God, what you will find in the heart of God is sure, that there is mercy, mercy and welcome and kindness and love at the heart of our good God. No matter what you feel like disqualifies you, there is unqualified love. And as you draw near to the heart of God, the heart of the God who, who loves you and seeks a relationship with you, you will find mercy that triumphs over everything else. No matter what is going on out there in God, you will find mercy that surrounds you. And we hope that you find it here in this community in this church as well, so that we can have the courage just to brush the haters off and to move through our world secure in who we are as God's kids. So as we've learned through studying through the book of James this summer, if you've been with us, James is a serious Jewish kid. And so he took this very, very seriously. And so the word mercy that he knew and he lifted up was very important to him because it's how God describes God's self over and over again. It's powerful for him and his conception of God. The Hebrew word for, for mercy is beautiful. It's racham, racham. So let's say that together. Ready? Racham. Ah, you Hebrew speakers, that's awesome. Next time someone cuts you off on I-35, say that instead of what comes to mind first. Racham to you. You can say it with a little venom in it too. Mercy, mercy. As beautiful as that sounds, there's something even more beautiful about this particular word, racham. And that's this, is that that word rakam comes from the Hebrew word for, for womb. For womb. For that kind of transcendent love. And it carries with us all of those connotations. That God's mercy toward us is deep and profound. It's this unbreakable, life-giving connection. The well-being of us interwoven with God like a mother and a child. God's mercy surrounds us and protects us and sustains us. And our well-being, our life, is connected and interwoven and deeply felt by our God. One of my friends told me that when, when you have kids, it's like you take your heart and you let it run around outside your body. And it's like, yeah, that's actually pretty true. Even for us dudes who don't do the whole racham thing, it's pretty powerful. We're deeply connected with our kids, especially when one of our kids gets something like this. Um, there's a bru- big fat bruise on his forehead, um, especially when hypothetically it was your shoulders that he was sitting on when you ran through the house and ran into the doorframe with your kid on your back. Hypothetically. Don't, don't judge. <laughs> That's a, don't judge. 
But God loves you in the same way, not the like running around with a kid on your shoulder and forgetting to duck as you go through a doorway, but God loves you so much. And when you, (laughs) I'm never going to live that one down. I should not have said that. When you hurt, God's heart moves. God's heart. All right, that's making me feel really guilty. Let's just take that picture down there, Darren. Thank you. Thank you very much. When you hurt, when you stumble, God picks you up and dusts you off and probably like a perfect mom, you know, puts a little spit on it and helps you feel better. And when you draw near to God over and over, what you find is mercy no matter what. You find that deep, nurturing, caring, racham love that God knows you and loves you in the depth of your spirit and the truth of who you are. You find your heart's true home in the arms of a good God. So God says this through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah forty nine fifteen. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no mercy for the woman of her womb, for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God says my love reflects that of a mother, but it even far exceeds that with deep mercy that triumphs over everything. So when I think about that, When I think about the depth of God's love and the depth of God's mercy for us, I want to shout it out. I want to tell people and make it known that God offers mercy and not judgment because I think about friends who stumbled and they weren't sure whether they'd be welcome back. I think of the 18-year-old self, me, with questions and doubts, and I wasn't sure whether I fit in anymore. I thought of those who began to discover who they were and felt like there was no place for them. And maybe you've been there, maybe you're there now, not feeling like you totally fit in or you measure up. In the face of the judgment or in fear of judgment, we're tempted to hide or to quit or to pursue apathy or to run off into the jungle and try to find our hakuna matata somewhere out there. But I just want to say into that, we're calm. I want to speak that to the world, but the world would have no idea what I meant. So I want to say mercy, this deep, all-surpassing, never-failing, never-forgetting mercy is what God offers to us in our time of need. When we draw near to God, that's what we find. And God wants to say it to our world, too. To all of us, I love you. You'll always be safe with me, no matter what. I value relationship above all. So no matter where you are on your journey, you can come to God and be honest or angry or, or hangry or whatever you have. You can come be yourself, and what you will find over and over is mercy, not judgment, no matter what. I think about us and our journeys and our stories, and I think about this guy, James, whose story we're reading this summer, who, as we learned a few weeks ago, was the half-brother of Jesus, but he didn't follow Jesus. He thought this message of mercy was a bit crazy. Uh, James mocked him and made fun of him and wasn't there for Jesus at the greatest time of his need, but Jesus did not quit loving him, but sought him out. And when James encountered Jesus again, he found mercy not judgment. Mercy that triumphed over hurt and history and transformed the heart of James. And when we find mercy in God, when we let our true selves be found by the God who is seeking us, we will be transformed as well.
So, okay, time out. Some of you may be thinking, all right, that's cool, mercy, that's awesome, but doesn't the Bible have a whole bunch of, like, rules and stuff in it? You know, what's up with all the thou shalt not stuff? What's up with that? So, funny you should ask, um, hypothetically, yes, the Bible does have a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt not stuff. And amazingly, the book of James has more imperatives and commandments than any other book in the New Testament. James is not saying that mercy throws this stuff out. But James' perspective is different. He says it's not about behaving so that you can belong. He says you are beloved. You belong, period. So now, begin to become who you were built to be. You are loved deeply. So begin to live the life, the kind of people kind of life that people who are deeply loved can live. Let your being reflect who you are as a child of God. Love as you've been loved. This is James' message to us. This is so important because this is how God's rules have always operated. The Ten Commandments that you find in the Bible, the thou shalt not and thou shalt stuff, these were a rule of life given to a people called Israel. But long before God gave them rules... God heard their cries, their hurting cries, heard them as an oppressed people, and drew near to them before they did anything to deserve this or to earn this. He drew near them, liberated them from slavery, delivered them from Egypt, made them a community, and walked with them day and night through the desert. And it was only after they were liberated and set free and safe and experienced mercy And only after they knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were God's squad, loved by God. Only then did God lay out for them a rule of life. And that law, too, that rule of life was a gift of mercy to show them how to live as people of mercy. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't throw mud on your house. Those were the rules that God gave to them. And Jesus said, all of these hang on these two ideas, to love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Essentially, live lives of mercy. Or as Jesus said it, be merciful, just as your father is racham, merciful. So this is where we come in. This is where we begin as people who are loved and cared for by God, begin to live out our rule of life, to be merciful, to find mercy as we extend it to the world. This call to be merciful and to live with mercy in our lives is so incredibly important because, man, this world can be divisive and judgy, and you know that. We draw borders around who's in and who's out. We evaluate and we rank everything we even rank like our favorite ice creams. Like, like some, in July, someone's going to come and offer us pistachio ice cream, and we're going to say, no, that's not in my top 25. I'd rather not have ice cream today. It can be hard to break free from this mindset, but we can. Because there are people in our world who need a word of mercy, who long for it. 18-year-old me, 6-year-old me, friends who've stumbled, parents who need to know grace, people who've been told that God's love is closed to them, and we've been called to be ambassadors of God's love 
of God's mercy, to let mercy triumph in our lives and the way that we interact with our world, to love radically and to prioritize relationship with our neighbor above all. As we draw near to the merciful, racham heart of God, we begin to experience that for ourselves and it begins to transform us and the way we see those around us. And living that out in our world is our calling. It's the calling of this community that we reflect and communicate God's heart of mercy with our world. That when people come to this place seeking God and seeking community, that what they find at the heart of open is a reflection of who God is, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. When we draw near to the heart of God and intentionally pursue mercy in our lives, God begins to shape us in a way that our hearts are merciful too. James describes it this way in chapter 3. He goes on and he says, But the wisdom from above, the thing that God begins to implant in, in us and help our lives reflect is first pure, and then it's peaceable and gentle. It's willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good fruits, without trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. The harvest of peace and mercy, the harvest is righteousness, James says. That means right relationship with God, with neighbor, with ourselves, is there sown and planted in the peace as we go and make peace. For those who pursue it, those who choose to make peace, And justice, as they go, God begins to grow in us. Because mercy triumphs, God says. And as we pursue it, it becomes our way of life. And it has the power to transform everything. So mercy triumphs, God says, because it's the way of God. And if it's truly the way of God, then it is truly the way that the world works, even if we cannot see it. Even if the world tells us that's a little crazy. Mercy triumphs. And I think it's so important that it says it that way, not mercy is good or mercy is a nice idea. Try really hard to do it, but mercy wins. If there's a rock, paper, mercy, judgment thing, you know, if you're playing rock, paper, uh, mercy, judgment, then mercy is going to win every time. So when you're playing rock, paper, scissors, try that next time. Just do this and see what happens and quote scripture to them and be like, the Bible says it. Sorry, mercy triumphs. So while the world may look down on mercy as weak or challenging, we're aligning ourselves with the way and the power of God's love that wins the most powerful, triumphant force in the world. And the more we live it out, the more we experience it. Those who are merciful, Jesus says, will find mercy. This community will begin to be more merciful as we begin to be merciful toward each other and toward our world. We sow in peace and harvest in peace, and we find mercy as we're merciful. So how do we do that? How do we do that? A couple things. One, I think we lead with mercy, and here's what I mean. As we go into our world, let mercy be the way we step out and engage with the people around us. Just as God declares, my identity is gracious and merciful, we declare who we are and who our God is by leading with grace and with mercy. It should be the first thing people experience when they bump into us, like the clothes that we wear, just like it was for the Jesus that we follow, who offered mercy as he walked through this world, and people who were nothing like him liked him, and Jesus loved them with mercy and not judgment. 
So let people, us be people who lead with mercy as we go, even in small ways. To ask someone how their day is going, to smile at someone that we do not know, to help them feel safe, to make decisions and take action that seeks the welfare of the other. And every time you have a chance to choose between mercy and judgment, choose mercy. When your kid splatters mud on the wall, there will be plenty of time for lessons and coulda, shouldas. But lead with mercy. Let mercy triumph. Relationship over retaliation. Reconciliation over retribution. Because love triumphs, period. The second thing is this. Let mercy overflow. Surprise this world with the volume of our mercy. This may seem pretty counterintuitive in the flow of the world, especially because Game of Thrones uh, comes back tonight, and I'm incredibly excited about that. But even still, I, I, um, outside of the fantasy world, in real life, we are called to be astounding with our love and mercy. Radical profligate, prodigal with the way that we love those around us. To love those who consider themselves our enemies, Jesus says. To bless even those who seek to harm us, Jesus says. And to give and to serve with no strings attached. We're called to radical love and triumphant mercy. And it is by our love that the world will begin to know our God. So much mercy God offers, that when the world said, that's probably enough mercy, Jesus said, I've got more where that came from. Like loaves and fishes of grace, God keeps giving to us. So honestly, this is such a crazy thing to try to live out in our world, and it's hard and it's challenging. It's impossible in our own wisdom, and it's impossible to do it in our own strength. But as James says, this is wisdom from above. This is a calling higher than we can do in our own, but we do not do it in our own strength. We join ourselves with the strength of the triumphant mercy of a gracious God. And we rest in this truth, and one that we lift up here in this church, that God is at work in every life, always, with grace and mercy and love and purpose for transformation. And if God is at work in my neighbor, if God is at work in my kid, if God is at work with that one who considers themselves my enemy, if God is at work in me, then how can I judge? So I simply join my meager mercy to the monsoon of mercifulness that God pours out on the sinner and the saint and those who follow the rule of life and those who don't and those who are in and those who are out by the world's judgment. God pours out mercy over and over when we love like that, powerful things happen in our relationship. Because God reminds us, Racham reminds us that we're bound up together. That my heart is running around outside my body, in my kid, but not just my kid, in my neighbor, in those who consider themselves my enemy, in you, and in you. Our welfare is bound up in each other's our justice in each other's, our freedom in each other's, our shalom tied up in each other's as well. And so when I offer mercy, as Jesus says, I find mercy myself. God's triumphant, world-changing, all-welcoming, life-giving 
dirt-clawed, washing-off mercy. People who change the world know that. They know that we're bound up together, and they know the power of triumphant mercy and love. And so as we close, just as something to sit with and to think about just how powerful this could be, I want to leave you with an articulation of love, of mercy's triumphant power. One of my favorite sections of, of work by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who preached this on Christmas Eve in 1967 in a, in a sermon about peace and articulating mercy's power to change the world into triumph. And this is what he said. He said, I've seen too much hate to want to hate. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. So somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force, with that wisdom from above. So do what you will to us and we will still love you and extend mercy and extend grace. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and our capacity to love and be gracious. We will keep on doing it. And one day we will win our freedom, he says. But we will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. What's crazy about that statement that Dr. King offered about mercy's power not only to win the day but to transform the heart of even the most bitterest, bitter opposition in the face of inhuman judgment and hate is that mercy did triumph. And in that only God kind of way, it did transform the heart of those around. And so in our world today, we know the work of mercy is not done, not in race or in anything. So much mercy is needed in our world. There's division and difference in our faith and in our doubt, in our relationships toward God, toward our neighbor, toward ourselves. Mercy is called for. And so that's why for us, Open, it's so incredibly important that we live this out, that we lead with and overflow mercy as we go. But I cannot wait to see what God's incredible, calm mercy wins in our time, in our community. So let's be ones who shape our world, who lead with mercy, not judgment, who overflow mercy in all things. And let's see when that mercy begins to triumph here in Denton, Texas, what kinds of triumphs God has in store for us. Let's pray together. Gracious, incredible God, we draw near to you as people, God, who need your mercy. God, we thank you that when we turn to you, we find that. Though this world judges, though sometimes, God, we judge our own selves, God, that when we turn toward you, we find mercy. That just as you say in the Psalms, that as we look to you, God, 
You radiate love. Our faces reflect your love, and we see no shame. So as we turn to you and find mercy, God, we are so incredibly grateful for your love for us. But the calling is more to that, to then go and love as we've been loved. And so God, give us the courage to be merciful people, to lead with mercy, to let it overflow, God, and to astound this world with the volume and the depth of your incredible grace and love. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your son. We pray this in your name.